All right, so I just want to do a little teaching. It's, one of, it's, it's an old, I've done this one before, it's been a long time, but it is one of my most favorite uh, stories in the Bible, and, and you could probably imagine why it's one of my favorites, because it is a big, big problem for a lot of people, uh, a lot of Christians in particular, and it, it's, it's a real theological problem, it doesn't fit, and I love those kind of stories because I don't fit. And uh, so I love to point these things out. And in my opinion, Jesus didn't fit. He didn't fit the mold. He didn't, he didn't stay in the box. And it was precisely because of that that Jesus got in so much trouble with religious folks all the time. Because he was, Jesus was always building this bigger box that was more inclusive. And, and in fact, he blew, blew the box apart. And in fact, he references this story. Jesus references this story. He, uh, he is just coming on the scene in his ministry as this itinerant, uh, self-proclaimed rabbi. And he speaks in a synagogue in his own hometown of Nazareth. <clears throat> and he quotes from the scroll of Isaiah. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of, the, of sight for the blind. He has sent me to release the oppressed and to proclaim that this is the year or the season of the Lord's favor. And he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, and they got really pissed at him. Uh, and what he did then, which he did so often, he just cited a couple of stories about how God works out of the box. And this is why you don't hear pastors preaching this story, because it's a problem. It works completely against conventional theology, uh, or as it's, as it's called, systematic theology. Um, but there's really nothing systematic about it at all. Uh, so they start laying into him, and he says, uh, I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but rather to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. These are the wrong people, the wrong religion, wrong everything. And if you remember the story, he feeds the widow. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet. Yet none of them was cleansed except Naaman, the Syrian. A Syrian is, again, wrong religion, wrong race wrong everything, and he reminds him of this story of Naaman, and that's what I want to talk about, this guy Naaman. Now, Naaman, the name itself, means beautiful, and uh, he was a commander, as it says here in chapter 5 uh, of Second Kings, he was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. Now, Aram is uh, modern day, basically, where Syria is, in Damascus. And they were a very powerful nation state at this time in Israel's history. And they were a threat. And this guy was their chief general, their, their supreme commander. And he said, uh, 
he was a, it says, he was a great man in the sight of his master, the king. Uh, the great man means ishgadol. Like, gadol is big, great, heavy, a heavyweight. He, and he was, a, he was a powerful man. He was a heavyweight. And it says, uh, and he was highly regarded. Chayil. Uh, he was highly regarded and a valiant soldier. Highly regarded Nasa means like he was lifted up by the people. He was idolized by the people. And he was a valiant, a very brave, courageous, Chayil soldier. And then it says, but he had leprosy. It's just kind of funny. It's like this build up and then it goes, but he had leprosy. That was a big problem uh, back then. And uh, a real, in, in, in many ways, some people thought that was a curse from God. And that didn't make sense that this great victory commander uh, has, has leprosy. And it said here, this is weird too, uh, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. That's just, it's just a weird statement. Look, again, I don't believe that God's involved in wars and, and handpicking sides or what have you. Uh, but... Uh, but they did, and that's very important in the theology here to understand that that's a problem for Israel because it means their God is involved with other nations and handing them victories. That would be kind of problematic. It's not something you'd want your God necessarily doing. Uh, so that's, that's just, again, one of the oddball things about it. Now, it says, Now, bands from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served... Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he could cure him of his leprosy. Okay, so this is where it gets really weird. So they are a border nation and they are running raids into Israel. And they would raid and loot towns across the border. And in this case, they raid a town and they take, they take slaves. And included is this young girl. So just imagine that, okay? I mean, it's not all that, I mean, it's happening in the Middle East all the time right now, these, these, these border wars and, and people raping, pillaging, and looting, and kidnapping, and enslaving people, whether it's ISIS, or the Syrians, or the Kurds, or the Turks that are being, you know, you go through it all, it still happens. Uh, but she's taken prisoner, she's taken as a slave, and she is serving the wife of this general. And she notices that he has a pizza face. Now, personally, I would enjoy that. I would take great delight in seeing the person who kidnapped me and enslaved me, uh, took me away from my family, my town, and my country, uh, having, you know, his nose fall into his soup. I would think that would be funny. Like, that's awesome. Uh, you're getting what you deserve. But obviously, this girl is nothing like me. She actually takes pity on the guy. And she says, you know, back in my country, there's this prophet. He's been given powers. He can he could heal you. Wow, what a grace, what a gracious act. What a, what, a, what a pure soul in the midst of, I mean, talk about grace under pressure. She's a kidnapped slave girl. And somehow she still cares about her master. Now, I'm not saying that Naaman not, wasn't a great man. I, I got a feeling that he's a good dude. I mean, he wasn't just esteemed because he was brutal. I think he was a, a very just man in many ways and very much liked by the king and by his people and by his troops. I think they, they really cared about him. I think he was a good dude. And it's obviously that this gal cared about him and said, you, 
there's a, somebody could heal you. So Naaman went to the king and told him what the girl had said from Israel. And the king said, by all means, go. And I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. So he's like, I'm going to prepare this so the king will receive you. So he left, and the king gave him 10 talents of silver. That's about 750 pounds of silver. And then gave him also 6,000 shekels of gold. That's about 150 pounds of gold. And then it says, and 10 sets of clothing, because you want the stuff that's just coming out in Damascus. You know, they are, they find threads coming out of Damascus. So 10 sets of clothing. And the letter he took to the king read, with this letter I'm sending my servant Naaman to you so that, he may, that you may cure him of his leprosy. So as soon as the king of Israel gets this letter, he panics. In fact, it says he tore his robes and said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? I mean, basically he's saying this dude's dead with his leprosy. Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of leprosy? He's trying to pick a fight with me. So he gets paranoid. He's like, oh, he's asking me the impossible. Because when I don't come through, he's going to raid my nation. He's got an excuse now to go off on us. So he's in full panic mode. And he tears his robe. But the word gets around. And when Elisha, the prophet that the girl was talking about, the man of God heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes. He sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me. And he will know that there's a prophet in Israel. <coughs> so Naaman went with his horses and chariots. Now, horses and chariots, you have to understand, in those days, that is uh, high tech. That's high technology, okay? Horses and chariots, from a military standpoint, at this period of time in 2 Kings, that would be uh, big-time firepower. That would be Cobra gunships and Abrams tanks in the modern vernacular. So he comes and descends with his army upon this very humble Elisha in the desert. So, and they stop at the door of Elisha's house. Now, you can imagine it. This is just a prophet in the desert. If you've been to Israel with me, you can imagine what this little home looked like. And here is this guy with, you know, the general with like 10 black SUVs, a thousand secret service. Everybody's there, locked and loaded. And he knocks on the door. And, and this is where it gets funny again. He knocks at the door. And Elisha sent a messenger to tell him what to do. So Elijah, in this little house, doesn't even answer the door. He sends his servant. And he tells him what to do. And the servant says, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, little river, Jordan. And your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed, purified. I love that word restored because it's the word that we often translate in the English, repent. And usually when you think of repentance, especially in a Christian church, you think of some fat, blowhard, 
preacher wagging his fat finger saying, repent, sinner, repent. You need to repent, you know. So this become very much associated with sin. But the Hebrew word that's translated repent is a much more beautiful word. It means return. So uh, when I hear the word repent, I think of like, am I not working? Off and on? My end? Am I not? I don't know. All right. Can you hear me, though? Okay. You can hear me. What the heck is going on? He's... God, you know, and that's like sound guys, you know, like I'm really, I'm kind of sensitive to sound guys because now because my boys band and stuff like that and there's nothing worse than a bad sound guy you know I've been to so many concerts where the guys on the guitar steps up he's wailing a guitar solo and you can't hear a thing you're like what the heck is that drives me nuts anyways I digress you can hear me now good Kathy I got the Kathy stamp of approval all right good so anyways he sends his servant. The servant says, go down to the Jordan River, and your flesh will be restored. As I said, that was the word teshuva, which means restored. And I love that. It's not about, like, repent, sinner. It's like, return, be restored to God. Get back on the path. You've drifted off the path, and you're in the deep weeds. Get restoration. I love that word, restoration. But, check it out, Naaman went away angry. He's insulted. I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. So he thought the guy was going to go all Benny Hinn, you know, like all, you know, crusade preacher on him. He's going to do this big thing and come out, but he just sends his servant. He says, go dip in the river. So... And he's insulted by that, too, because he says, Are not the Abana and the Farfar rivers of Damascus better than the waters of Israel? In other words, if you've ever been to Israel, you know one of the most disappointing things is to go to the River Jordan, because it's a creek. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, or the River Jordan, you always have this. It's a creek. It's just a little trickle down. It's nothing. And, uh, and he's like, dude. The Jordan, that little muddy creek. I mean, we got rivers back in Damascus, dude. So he's, he's kind of upset now. He says, they're better than the waters of Israel. Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and he said, now that's panah. This is the, the visuals. He turned, he panah, he went away. Instead of teshuva, instead of returning, he went panah, he went the opposite direction. And he was in a rage. And that word is, uh, in, you know, it, it, he, was, he was blowing his top. But this is where it gets cool again. Naaman's servants went to him. And that three-word translation is a word of nagash. And nagash is a sexual euphemism. It's used for intimacy and sex. And what it means is, he literally, they literally jumped on him. they like, no, you're not leaving. What are you doing? Like, these are servants. That's pretty 
ballsy. I mean, they, they tackle their master, and they're like, no. And this tells me there is so much respect and so much love for this guy that they're even willing to risk on it. And, and, and they care about him so much. And they said, Father, they call him Abba, Father, if the prophet had told you to do a great thing, a gadol, would you not have done it? In other words, if he would have told you, go climb Mount Sinai and, you know, put a flag on top of it, he's like, I'll go climb Sinai. He says, well, how much then when he tells you to wash and be cleansed? So he's trying to say, dude, he's not asking you a big deal. It's worth a shot. Come on, let's try it. Um, I just love that. And there's so many things we can take from this, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll break that down in a second. But he says, wash and be cleansed. So he went down, and that word down is my son's name, Jared, Yared. Yared means to descend. So this is a, this is a physical uh, word of descent, but it, it's metaphorically also meaning he came down. He humbled himself. He, he came from off his high mountain and came down to ground level. He descended to the Jordan, and he plunged himself seven times, as a man told him, and his flesh was teshuva, restored. And he became clean like that of a young boy. It was like a baby's butt. His face was just beautiful and healed. He was, so to speak, even you could say born again. And then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God, and he stood before him, and he said, Now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. And the prophet answered, and I love this, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And though, even though Naaman urged him, he refused. I love that. That's, that's integrity, you know. There's so many charlatans out there. They want something for what they give you. And I'm talking in, in, in ministry especially. You just watch all the, you know, it's, 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 it's mind-numbing when you watch the abuse religiously uh, and, and the theft of people as these pastors fly around in their Gulf Wing private jets and live in these 50,000-foot mansions and and exploit the poorest of the poor, telling them they'll get something if they'll first plant a seed of faith, which is cash, always. Um, man, it just, it, it burns me up. This guy's like, I don't need anything or want anything. That's not why I do it. And then he says, well, if you don't, if you will not, this is, gets, gets really cool and weird too. He says, please let your servant, now he calls him his servant, be given as much arets, earth, earth as a pair of mules can carry for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the lord so he says man uh, the land of israel the eretz he can't always be in israel but can he take some of israel along with him so he gets two mules and he loads it down with the eretz the earth the people of the land in Israel are called the Am Haaretz, the people of the earth. So he takes earth with them back to Damascus, and that's where he's going to worship on that plot of ground. And then it gets even weirder. 
he says, But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing, because when my master enters the temple of Rimon to bow down and worship, he is leaning on my arm, and I bow there also. He says, my king has a totally different God, and he goes to worship there regularly, and I'm his right-hand man, and I go to worship with him regularly there, and I'm going to go with him to worship there because he's still my master, and when he bows down, I'm going to be bowing down. So in other words, it would be like, you know, hey, my, my, my boss goes to the mosque, and I'm going to go to the mosque, and he lays down his prayer mat, and towards Mecca, and I lay down my prayer mat towards Mecca, and he bows down and worships Allah, and I bow down with him. Uh, and I hope, and he's saying, I hope that's not offensive to you. You know, and this is where like Christians would be like, oh man, you got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. You know, don't get sucked in. You know, turn or burn. You got to, you know, that's like you know, those are like the T-shirts you get at like camp, you know, concentration camp for kids where we're going to completely just fry your brain and indoctrinate you with all kinds of crap. We call it vacation Bible school. But anyways, it's the same thing. They're going to indoctrinate, you know, and he's like, no, uh, I love your God and all, but there's this thing I got to do. And uh, so I'm just waiting for the prophet. So what's he going to say? He says, go in peace. Be on your way. Salam. Salam alaikum. Shalom alaikum. Peace be with you. You go in peace, dude. You're all good. He doesn't say you need to quit your job as a general. He doesn't say you need to now uh, convert to Judaism. He doesn't say you got to now get circumcised. You got to now not take, you know, two bags of dirt, but you got to make your home right here on the dirt, and you've got to defend Israel against your enemies, and you can't be with your king anymore, and you certainly can't go to his house of worship, and you can't do this, and you can't do that, and you're not allowed to do this anymore, and you can't see R-rated movies. No mixed bathing, no bikinis, smoking, no, drinking, no, um, Pills, fine, that's okay. Lots of pills, lots of pills, they, they, that's okay. Um, go in peace. That's why nobody wants to teach this, because that's a problem. And Jesus uses that to, sh to just remind them, like, you, you can't box God in. You can't tell me who I can hang out with and who I can't. And who is worthy to be in my presence and who is not worthy to be in my presence? Or whom I will touch and restore? Who I will sit with, eat with, drink with? I mean, if you think about that, it's so mind-blowing. You, you most of you probably heard about the woman at the well where the Samaritan woman encounters Jesus at a well and she goes and hangs out. He goes and hangs out in the village for two days. But have you ever thought about that 48 hours? Because everything he was doing was wrong for a Jew. He ate with them. He drank with them. He touched their dishes. He slept in their homes. He had their children on their lap, I'm sure. He hung out with these people, and he shared with them. And all the, to go into the house of a Samaritan was a, was a 
a big no-no. So you can imagine, right? I mean, just like, wow, Jesus was always getting, you know, people, religious people angry at him. So what can we take out of this story? Well, I, I think there's some practical things, really. First of all, I love the girl. What a heart. What a heart. Talk about loving your enemy. That's actually doing it. Like, I, yeah, you know what? I know somebody that could help you. Wow. That's just mind-blowing. Uh, I love the servants. How we can learn from people, all people, even people that we think are below us, if we're willing to listen. You know, they were the one. He was panah. He was going the wrong way. And it was the servants that risked everything and said, dude, don't go that direction. I mean, they tackled him and said, you, you got to give it a shot. I mean, just a shot. I mean, that's a, that's a lesson for me in life. Like, what does it hurt? You know, we're trying anything and everything with Josh and his muscular dystrophy now, right? Because UCLA, we go to, we go to UCLA and we go to physical therapy there and Josh wants to find out what he can do to, to help himself maintain what he has and slow down what he's losing. And he tells them what, what he does, and they tell him basically, stop everything. Don't play the guitar, don't play the mandolin, stop the music. Don't hike anymore in the hills, don't ride bikes. Don't swim. Don't exercise. Stop the yoga immediately. I mean, they basically told him, you're, you're dead already. So you really want to slow your death down? Slow your death down by being dead already. Do nothing. Now, that's what we walked out with, you know? But that's not what we're living with. That's just not acceptable. It's not acceptable. I got a friend, Ryan Levinson, he has the same disease. And Ryan got the exact same advice. Ryan was a triathlete. He worked the fire department as an EMT. He was 25 years old when he got the disease of muscular dystrophy. And they told him the same thing. Stop riding your bike. Don't jog. Don't surf. Don't kite surf. Don't <coughs> sail. He was on the sailing team at, uh, at, at, at UCSB, or not UC, uh, San Diego. And... Um, and he was a triathlete. And he says, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. Yeah. So you know what he's been doing the last five years with his wife? He's like right now like in Tahiti, Bora Bora. He's been sailing the world for five years. And as Ryan says, you know, I do what I can till I can't do it anymore. And then I find something else I do like to do, and I do that. And I'm going to do that till I can't do that anymore. And then I find something else, and I'll do that. So he can't surf anymore, but he can harness the wind. So he kite surfs, you know, and he's got this big harness and he gets in it and he kite surfs and he's got pictures, he's all flying up in the air and he's living on a boat, you know, and, uh, and his disease is progressing, but he's living. Uh, they, you know what, Coco, because we've always talked about that, they had like a regular sailboat, uh, but it's been getting harder because it's hard for him to lift his arms up. So like when the boat, pitches, 
he ends up with his face just getting smashed into the wall because he can't get his arms up in time. And that kept happening, so they got a catamaran. Oh, baby, stable platform, and it hauls butt. He's so excited about it. Uh, but then I'm going to tell you this. I'm listening to this show on FSHD, on the, on, on, and I get this, this report that comes through it about a Dutch team, a Dutch team of uh, neurologists who have concluded a study that says exercise actually helps with muscular dystrophy. You know, it's, I'm just saying like sometimes you gotta take a shot. Sometimes you gotta do the unconventional thing. Sometimes somebody is gonna say, well, here's what you need to do. You need to climb Mount Everest. Or they're gonna say, you don't really need to do something that great. All you need to do is this little thing and that's gonna be great enough. All right, okay, now I hear you. I love these servants, man. It's like, dude, if they said climb Mount Everest, you'd go for it, but they're asking you just to humble yourself. Yared, Jared, just humble yourself a little bit. Okay, how many of us could use a little humility? How many times have I discovered something in my humility that I would never have discovered in my pride? How many things have I missed out discovering because of my pride instead of just humbling myself? How many things have I missed out on? Wow, these are practical lessons. Dude, just yared, just descend a little bit. Show some humility, give it a shot. And then I love, of course, just the servant. Go in peace. Man, there was a time in my life where I was all about converting people. Now, you know what I want? All I want to do is help people go in peace. That's all. Whatever it is. Their marriage, their children, their parents, their work, their friendships. How can I help you go in peace? That's it. Go in peace. How can I help you? to go in peace. I don't need to convert you. I don't need to circumcise you. I don't need you to get you to come to my church. I don't need you to do this. How can I help you go in peace? Well, I could really use a tire for my car so I can get to work. Call Fred's tire man. Go in peace. <laughs> it's that simple. It's like, and it's that cool. And it's that wonderful. So I hope you take some practical. This is one of my favorite stories because it is a problem. And I love that Jesus cites it and rubs their noses in it. Like, I know you boys don't like to talk about this one. Let me tell you, oy vey. But remember Naaman? Yeah. You know? Elisha the prophet, he went to him. Yeah. You know, I, I just love that Jesus just rubs their noses in it too. And I'm glad to rub yours in it too. Peace and grace be with you. <laughs>